0: Uh, Jacob and uh, Matt, our leadership residents, uh, made this sermon series "Pillars of the Local Church," uh, and we've been going through that uh, over the past, um, really, the past month so far. Uh, it has been it's been really great uh, going through um, the things that make the church. What it is, make the the local church what it is, the things that are the foundation and uh, build the structure of who we are as the church. And so uh, today uh, we're going to have Joe Wood. He's the uh, BCM director, the Baptist Collegiate Ministry at UL. Uh, He leads that and directs it. I've been working with him there for years. Um, I've known him probably too long. Uh, as anyone who's known him that long would probably say. Uh, and so, uh, uh, no, I'm uh, excited to hear uh, Joe come and speak this morning. So uh, y'all uh, give a round of applause for Joe. Hey, we're going to be in uh, First Timothy Chapter 3, and that's where we're going to be plugging in today. The college students, are majority of them are gone this summer, and so... This is when me and my wife go on vacation, so I just got back. I'm feeling a little fresh. Went to the beach. Every one of my kids got sunburned, and so it's part of it, but we, uh, we had a good time. And so today, one of the questions I want to ask us right out the box is, as we look at it, like, why church leaders? Why do we need to have organized leaders within the church? And we're going to address that um, looking at these passages. So we're going to be in chapter three the whole time. And so I'm not going to jump back and forth. i wanted to keep it really simple. When you deal with college students, a lot of them need stuff very simple. And there's a handful of them. They love digging in and getting deeper. But those are rare these days. And so we're going to just plug in. So one of the things that I'm going to go over is today we're going to be talking about right off the bat is overseers. Um, And to give you the uh, preference is some... um, some people will call overseers uh, bishops or elders. They're really the same word. And so today, if you hear me interchange these words, bishop, elder, overseer, I'm, this is the context that I'm talking about. They're really the same word. And so I'm not really going to get much into that, just to give you a heads up in case you hear me bounce back and forth. But uh, let me just describe real quick before we start reading this passage, because first we're going to look at three different things. We're going to look at overseers. And uh, then we're going to look at deacons, and then uh, we're going to talk about how Paul wraps up uh, this chapter at the end. So there's really three uh, things that we want to talk about today. And so the first one, we're going to be dealing with overseers, and let me give you a definition. It describes a man recognized in a local church as one who exercised pastoral care among the people of God. And that's you know, that's not a very complex definition. It's just somebody that's doing pastoral care within that church or in that group of believers. And so, and we want to talk about the guidelines that Paul is giving to Timothy, because Timothy is doing church. Paul's in another location. He's writing a letter to him, and he's like, hey, you need some guidelines as you look for leaders to, like, to call out, to to lead formally in a in a, a formal context. And I remember, like, I became a Christian when I was 16 years old in high school, and uh, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't understand church culture or, uh, you know, just, I didn't, you know, I grew up in a, a small church plant that was in a trailer park in East Texas. And so, uh, my first church experience was First Baptist Church Bowser. I went there with a friend and it was huge. And then my second church experience was uh this it was a, a church plant in a community center in this huge trailer park. There are about 250 trailers in Camp Joy in East Texas. And uh I don't know, went to this thing and they did the Lord's Supper. I think I've talked about that before. And uh, I like I thought these people were crazy, you know, like you know, they're drinking Jesus' blood and eating, you know, the bread, they were breaking bread. I was like, this is crazy. All this symbolism, I didn't understand the context. So I was scared of church for a while. And so after I like started going and realizing like, okay, that's you know, they're not crazy. This is this like church culture thing that I didn't understand because I just didn't have a point of reference. But I didn't understand why we had leaders in church. You ever like been young, and you're like the world would be a better place if we didn't have leaders. I thought that way. Like I was so naive. Like man, if we didn't have titles, everybody would get along. And uh, and and here's what I can tell you is you. I take college students on these mission trips, and we'll do a project all day. And I'm like, hey guys, where do you want to go eat? You got 25 college students, and you ask them where you want to go eat. It is going to be a disaster. Doesn't it make sense? Like it's the system is going to break down, and like they're. Because they don't want to hurt each other's feelings, right? There's always one, right? There's always one guy like, let's go, you know, to Ruby Tuesdays, and like, and there's always the rest of the group that's like, yeah, uh, I, you know, I got a minimum wage job, I can't go to Ruby Tuesdays, you know, like, so you get this tension, like, do we go to McDonald's or we go eat night? Like, and they will sit there and argue for twenty, thirty, forty minutes, and if you need an answer and respond to emails, it's a great time to do that, and so, like. But we need leadership and people that are called out that help guide us in the right direction. And so what, what Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy is, hey, you need to look at these carefully. Well, maybe the question you're asking today is, why do I need, Why, like, why I, don't, I don't want to be a church leader. But these really apply to us, too. There's something to strive for, like right? because when we live out these guidelines that Paul gives to Timothy for church leaders, if we just individually live them out, it's going to make our church healthy. It's going to make the people of God more healthy. And so it's something to step back and be objective, like, am I really living out these principles that Paul is sharing? And so the first one is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. That's easy. Like, Hey, that's a pretty noble thing to do. But we have to remember, like, during the beginning of, like, the church back in the day, like, this, it wasn't the most popular to be a leader in the church. You know, the church being persecuted, and uh, it wasn't, like, a lot of prestige in a position like this. And sometimes, like, we, you know, today in America, we're like, hey, man, you're a deacon at the church. That's awesome. You're a leader at the church. Cool. We like the titles. That title was a very humbling title because, like, if people in the community found out you're a church leader, who are they going to attack, right? And so who are they going to mock? Who are they going to agitate? And so, but right now, like, you know, sometimes people want these titles and, and what, it, it is a noble task, but sometimes we have to realize when we're going to look through here is realize that we have to approach it humbly. We have to, like, understand that it's more than a title that this is the backbone of the church. This, guys who are loving the Lord and women who are pursuing after Christ, like these qualities make a difference in the, the big picture of things. And it's a calling. You ever notice that some people, they might have title pastor, but they pastor people. You know, like they love on people. They encourage people. They lift people up. They, know, they don't need the title. And way before I ended up being in college ministry, I was working at Waffle House, you know, in my college days. And like, I met people that worked at Waffle House that just, the Lord was upon them. They loved the Lord so much that it was effortless for them. It seemed like it was effortless for them to share the gospel with their co workers, invite people to church, like, and lift people up and pray for people. And one of the ladies named Linda that really stood out to me when I was in college working at Waffle House. She didn't graduate from high school. She smoked all the time and like, you know, had been to jail a couple of times and like got a, you know, she met the Lord, her life changed and God was using her to impact people for the kingdom. And what's amazing is like she didn't need a title because she loved the Lord. And I, what I want to challenge you today is, yes, it's noble to want titles, but also we need to like. It, our character matters more than the title. How we live daily matters more. First Timothy uh, 3, let's look at verses 2 and 3. It says, now the overseer is to be above repro- approach, faithful to his wife, um, tempered, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not uh, violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Man, that's a pretty big list. And like, when, as I was reading through some commentaries, like, there's these pages and pages on each word and what it means and and uh, how it could be applied. But I want to try to keep it really simple today. Um, the overarching requirement of a godly leader is what happens on the inside first, and then they, like what happens on the inside is a reflection on the outside. It, you, you'll look at that person's home and they love the Lord on the inside. Their home is going to be affected. Their workplace is going to be affected, right? Their, their friends interact are going to be affected. They're not, these things are not categories from each other. It's a part of all of these things. And one of the things that like I, was hard for me to learn in college, I like to, when I first got to college, I wanted to compartmentalize my Christian faith. Like, I wanted to be a fraternity guy, and also, like, party and live hard, and also, like, wanted to be in church on Sunday morning, inviting people to, to, um, like, our Sunday school class, and I I felt this tension, because, like, my foot was in both of these worlds, and, like, man, I might pick a fight in the bar the, the night, and cuss somebody out, and then be in church talking about Genesis the next day with my friends, and so, like, there was this compartmentalizing. And one of the things that we can look at leadership in the church is we can't, leaders can't compartmentalize different aspects of our life. God has to reign in all aspects of our life. And it's very important to like give over to him. And so above reproach means like there's no one that can accuse them. You know, nobody's perfect. Nobody is. And as a college minister, the most interesting thing happens when we were able to do tons of outreach. You can ask Matt. Every time we would do outreach on campus or Eli, somehow, out of all the college students I would talk to, it would always end up over the side talking to a college student. Right? You know, like a super long 30-minute conversation. And typically, I can tell you what those conversations were about. It was never about school. And it was never about, like, really church things What I found in those private 30-minute conversations on average was how somebody had been hurt by the church, by a leader in the church. They were in high school or junior high or how their family got hurt by somebody in the church and how they were, like, unpacking that. And, you know, sometimes God would help me and the Holy Spirit would work and help me unpack it in a healthy way. And sometimes their heart was so hardened and so frustrated we have to be able to step back because our character matters, and I don't want to be somebody to hurt somebody at church. doesn't make sense like and it's easy to do because let's be honest, as Americans we're sensitive. You know what I mean like I got a sensitive soul. I'm pretty tender hearted and like when people come at me, I'm like, ah I get emotional and like but as I've gotten older, I've learned how to manage those emotions, but as a college student, it's hard for them to deal with that and process that in a healthy way. But, it, you know, we need to understand how we carry ourselves matters wherever situation we're in, from the home with, into the public, at our jobs. They all intertwine, and we can't act crazy at work and then act, you know, holy at church on Sundays. It has to be part of us. And here's the moral character makes and, and, and it draws people to Christ or it's going to push people away. And then let's look at the the husband of one wife. You know, people love to talk about this verse. And I want really, I, man, I spent a lot of time. And I, I, you know, how do you summarize the husband of one wife? Well, it's a one woman man. It refers to the uh, to a moral character, not the married status. And, and and let me explain to you. My son, some of y'all know him. He's very handsome. We adopted him from Haiti. He's nine years old. He's got dimples. You know, he's got good skin. Like he's just handsome. Uh, I had to go up to school in August. Uh, we're in like three weeks into school and I'll never forget. I'm sitting in the principal's office. My son was in trouble because two girls got in a fight over who was going to be his girlfriend. And like literally like they beat each other up. yanking their hair. You know what I'm talking about? Like a straight up girl fight in the hallway in school. <laughs> and like I'm sitting there and like, <laughs> like my son is getting chewed out. For being handsome. Anyway, so I'm like but I, I asked the prince of him, I'm like, well, what'd he do? Did he hit a girl? Or he No, he was just standing there, and I'm like, So he's in trouble. <laughs> other people fighting. And anyway, it just made me laugh. But one of the things I've noticed about my son, you know, being handsome is I say this to him at least once a week. Because like I want him to get this, is that I tell them all the time, we're a one-woman man, right? Like, we only need one woman. I, you say, I don't be chasing women. I'm not pursuing after other women. I just love your mom. I just love your mom. And, like, you have to understand it as you— because I know it's going to be—this is just the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to get worse. And so if I don't start ingraining that in his heart, and his mind, it's going to lead to drama in, in his life. And, that, and, and that's a part— of his character, that's that could be a thing that can hinder how God works in his life and, and, and how He represents the kingdom. And we all need to step back sometimes and, and make sure, like, am I honoring, am I honoring God how I treat others, how I treat the, you know, um, the people around me when it comes to that? You know, am I a, a one-woman man? And so I think Paul has a legit thing. Like, I think that's a legit spiritual requirement from the Lord because the world is looking, looking for people who are faithful. Doesn't make sense? Who are faithful, who are pursuing spiritual purity in their relationship. And and the world is, and they see it, they're attracted to it. They might want to make fun of it. They might want to poke holes in it, but they're sincerely attracted to it. And so I, was, I went to a campus minister retreat and I was hanging out with a bunch of campus ministers. And I was eating breakfast with the campus minister from Gramlin. And we just had been building a relationship over the last two years. And as I was talking to him, he said, man, like, we were talking about marriage because me and my wife both. My wife come from a dysfunctional family. I've come from a dysfunctional family. And he did too. And we've talked about, man, like, the power of, like, a healthy marriage. Power of like pursuing one person and how God uses that and opens doors for us to do ministry. But man, God can use us when we're single too. This doesn't exclude single people because being sexually pure matters because the world is watching. And I think it's hard for young college students. Sometimes they're like, man, like, why am I sacrificing why am I like, why am I like holding back? Like, why can't I just act like everybody else? Why can't I just move in with my girlfriend or my boyfriend? Like, because we represent Christ to the world, and we're drawing people to Christ through these things, and it's a worthwhile sacrifice. It honors God and honors our local group of believers who are all sacrificing for the greater good of what God wants to do in us and through us. So one of the other things that Talked about a self-control uh, that's uh, well-disciplined and serious about uh, spiritual things, and not judgmental. You know, it's we have to be self-control, and we have to. We can't just overreact. Um, my favorite thing is like with young men that I see in my lifetime is, 10 young men tend to be like undercompensate or overcompensate. You know, what I mean, like you've met those guys like they're everywhere and. Um, like, it's funny about the guys who overcompensate, they tend to stand out in the crowd. But self-control is part of like being a good follower and representing the church. And we need to not our leaders to be self-controlled, but all of us in here need to be self-controlled. And, um, and then the other thing it talked about is hus- hospitable. And, you know, one of the things with Matt is Matt will invite you to his house real quick to eat. You know what I'm saying? Like, who's been in here invited? You know what I'm saying? Like, Matt wants to eat lunch. He, he's all about drinking some coffee with you because Matt's got the gift of hospitality. Does it make sense? And listen, God calls church leaders to be hospital. And it says, if you want to break down the word hospitable, and I mean, I read through these commentaries. If I, I try to sum it up in a really simple phrase so we can remember it, it's to love strangers, to everybody's welcome, to love strangers and make your house available to people, make, make time for people, make yourself available for people. And so, you know, some of us, it's easy to just go home and stay to ourselves. It's work, mental work. <laughs> It's the spiritual work that make ourselves available for others, and so man, it's difficult for some of us, and sometimes it's difficult for me. I love, I'm pretty extroverted, and I love people, but I get tired too. I'm like, man, I just, I just want to go watch Top Gun and not think about the world, you know, like, <laughs> it's like just pretend to be somebody else for two hours. All right, uh, live vicariously through Tom Cruise. Okay, so able to teach, you know, have you thought? have you, are you learning so you can teach? Are you learning so you can teach? Are you making yourself available and growing? And that's part of a spiritual leader, somebody who is actively learning about God's Word, active learning how to communicate about God's Word. And, you know, one of the things I've learned about teaching, and uh, is some of these Students who have been in BCM, probably the most important spiritual conversations I've ever had with 90% of college students happened in the BCM kitchen. And not in some formal setting, right? It's in the BCM kitchen, or y'all catch me when I walk out the bathroom, and y'all like, Joe, I got to talk to you. I'm like, all right, I guess, yeah, right here, let's do it. So, like, you know, it just, but it's, you have to be able to teach, but you can't teach what you don't know and where you haven't been. And so, one of the Paul's requirements that he's trying to communicate to Timothy is that we need to be growing and pursuing after God's word and learning so that it's part of our character. And then the, the other one that says, uh, they talked about as, you know, don't be physically violent, you know? <laughs> and so some of us are still working on that, you know, like it's, it's a work in progress. Uh, I'm a fan of jujitsu, so I'm caught in between this because I want to smash people. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, God, come on. You know, some people deserve to be smashed. But um, obviously, God's got a different plan. We can't smash everybody. Like, he wants us to, like, communicate and, like, and de-escalate, bring peace and love in our conversations. And, uh, and, you know, it's really funny. One of the things I've learned and when people are mad at me is um, it's a super cool technique uh, that I learned is... You know, when my wife's super upset with me and like angry for, you know, many of reasons that I deserve to be yelled at for, Um, you know, as she's upset with me, one of the things I do is I just sit down. I just sit down as I'm listening to her and it de escalates so quick. I notice that she stops standing on her toes and like, you know, starts leaning forward, that she kind of, her body relaxes. And like, and it allows for us to get to the solving the problem faster or me apologizing faster. You know, one of those scenarios is however you want to read it. So the, uh, but I think that sometimes we have to realize our posture and how we communicate even when we c- we have the right to be emotional, right? We, there's opportunities when we have the right to be angry or emotional and learning how to communicate in a way that's not quarrelsome, man, it's benefit to the kingdom. It can, it can open up some doors. So the, the one thing that we have to be able to teach, and then we have to trust leaders that deal with money well and trustworthy. You know, um, when I was younger, when I, my first youth pastor job, when I was Matt's age, and I just keep picking on Matt because I can see him, And the, uh, was I love to spend the church's money on youth events. And, and as I have lived, I've learned, I'm like, all right, we got to I actually have to have a, you know, balance this thing. I can't just buy everything I think we need and have to humble myself and be more trustworthy. But man, our church leaders need to be trustworthy. And are you trustworthy with your own money? You know what I mean? Like, that's part of the requirement is we have to prove that we're trustworthy with our own money so that we can be trustworthy with God's money and the church's money. And so it's a super interesting concept. So let's go to the next verse. Uh, Let's do... 1 Timothy 3 4 through 7. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And we must do it in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's family? He must not be a recent convert. He must become connected and, and fall under the same judgment of the devil. He, I'll get back to that. I probably butchered that when I was reading it. And he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace into the devil's trap. Well, let's go over the verse 4. It just talks about, man, leading the family well. So that was the thing that I was worried about most in college is how do I lead my family well because I come. My mom, just to give you some backstory, my mom was married seven times. She was very pretty and she attracted very handsome guys, and they liked each other for a while, and they, you know, would, they would constantly move in different directions, and so I've seen a lot of stuff by the time I got to college. I had a lot of experiences, and one of the things I worried is, like, how do I raise kids because I don't know nothing about raising people, like, because, like, my mom, because I would, like, look at other families. I'm like, man, I would watch I had a friend named Jeremy Higginbotham. I used to go to his house all the time, and I would watch how his parents interacted. And then when I would go to my football coach's house or anybody's houses I went to, I constantly was watching. People are watching how we handle our family business. It brings honor to God. And Jeremy Higginbotham's parents, as crazy as they were, helped me. They laid some bricks, some good foundations. God used them to say, all right, it is worthy to stay married. It is worthy because I noticed he would flirt with his wife, you know what I mean? Like, do honey, do chill words. And like, I noticed he would say sorry to his wife. And listen, in my house, nobody said sorry. Everybody was right. Even if we burnt the house down, everybody was right. And I just remember, like, man, like, maybe that's an easier way, like, humbling yourself, you know, being, you know, like, taking care of that. I, it just was mind blowing. I'm like, why doesn't everybody do this? But that's human nature. Like, we like to sink it, or we need God's help. We need God's help. And so as I was learning, as I started dating my wife, I realized, man, I need some help. So I started reading books, and I started hanging out with Christian guys, and I started hanging out in, with married Christian guys at church. And I would ask them, well, just straight up ask them, like, how do you make it work, man? Can I, like, I mean, just had no shame. Just hey, I don't know what I'm doing. People would give me books. And so I started reading books on how to raise kids before we had kids, how to have a healthy marriage. Because man, I wanted, I wanted God to be honored. Because I felt like God, hey, all right, God, you saved me, you love me, you care about me, and now you've put this woman in my life, and I feel like you're calling me to marry her. How do I handle all this? Because I don't know what I'm doing. I gotta lean into you and trust you, and I gotta be open and, and available. And so even if you, if not doing it right, right now, you start trying, you start pursuing. And there's been times in my marriage where I look and I'm like, bro, I have not handled my business well for eight or nine months, maybe even a year. And I got to refocus. Like I got to, man, I got to like claw and climb in, in a healthy direction and and, and get my regain my wife's trust, and so that we can keep pushing together towards God, and and really impacting this world. The, uh, and one of the things that we can learn too is to gain influence as a result of teaching and example. We we have to like not only just teach, but we have to lead by example in our home, in our at our work, in the community. It can't be it can't be disconnected. It's all, called, it's, God calls us all to bring this stuff together and to be part of us all the day. Uh, I, man, I heard a really good quote I wrote down. It says, teaching sets the nails into the mind, but example is a hammer that drives them in. Man, how beautiful is that? And other people not just told me how to do it. They showed me how to do it. And so, man, it's And that's real, you know, and then the passage talks about how like, you know, don't, you know, somebody just gets baptized. Don't just make them a church leader because like, you know, they're going to end up being full of pride and falling down. Listen, it's, that's hard when you're young. I never forget that when I was 18 years old, I became a youth pastor and I loved it. But bro, my ego was huge. Not my, not with my youth group. But when I was at my college, you know what I mean? Like when I'd see my friends, I'm like, you know, I'm a youth pastor. Nobody wanted to know that. You know what I mean? Nobody cared. But, man, I like I always brought it up, you know, especially with the single girls, you know, hey, I serve the Lord <laughs> and the college kids, you know what I mean? Like nobody cares about that stuff, <laughs> you know, like, but, man, it, it, our egos can get out of control. And so, man, we have to watch out. And, man, Satan wants our egos to get out of control. Because, man, we can fall in and be snared. We can get ourselves into trouble. Our ego is one of the most dangerous things that we have. And so Satan uses it against us. And so I've been doing jujitsu for a couple of years. And I don't ever do these illustrations, but I'm going to do it today because I'm not with my college students and it won't make fun of me. But the one of the things with jujitsu is, especially with a new person that comes in, they might be bigger and stronger and physical than me, is... I'm skinny, bald-headed, dead, right? You know what I'm saying? Balding, dead. And they, they're like, oh, I'm going to destroy this guy. I'm like, and they push forward every time. They come so aggressive. They're like, I'm going to smash you. And usually it's very simple. I just pull them, um, let the energy come, and just let them go with their own energy and then use the, all their angst and ego because and, they want to win so bad. And I let them come after me and come after me until they get exhausted, and they get tired. And then I capitalize on that. But that's what our egos do. It sucks us into fights that we can't win, that we're going to lose. And man, this world wants to beat you. This world wants to beat you down. Satan doesn't want God to use you and and use you to make a difference in the world for God's kingdom. All right. The second part of this message I think we'll throw up there is uh, let's talk about deacons. So we talked about overseers or elders, however you want to call it, those are the guidelines they got to follow. Those guidelines we can apply to our life. The second one is deacons, and so let's read this passage. It's 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Y'all hang in there, like, I just want to get through the deacons. It's not very long. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not uh, indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain they must keep hold of the deep truths of faith with clear conscience. They first, uh, they must first be tested, even if they were in nothing against them. Let them serve as deacons. In the same way, women who are worthy of respect, not malice talkers, but uh, temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, must manage his children and his household well. Those who serve well again in excellent standing and great assurance of faith in Christ Jesus. You know, what's cool is that God is not looking at talent and abilities. He's looking at our hearts. And he's looking at how our hearts affect our character. And, and our character screams how much we love the Lord, how much he's a priority in our life. And so the, if you look at this passage, there's not much difference between deacons and overseers, is that um, the um, Overseers are more of teaching. that's one of their roles. Um, but that's really the big that's not much of a difference. And the word "deacon" means to serve. It's just a person that is called out to lead in a, in a special way in the church. In a general sense of a term, all Christians are deacons. For all be, we should all be actively serving Christ in his church. you know and, and you know when you think about it, like we all should have some type of role how we're serving the Lord in this church, from opening the doors, setting up the sound equipment, to, you know, prepping, inviting people to church, being a host. We all, God calls us all to serve him in some general way. And then, the, man, it's, it's beautiful when people submit to that and just say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow after you. And then one of the things that stands out to me dealing with college students is, you know, not to be pretty alcohol, uh not to be preoccupied with drink, uh, not to allow it to influence your life. You know, a lot of my college kids, you know, I couldn't have a leadership team in Lafayette if I was like, hey, no one can drink and be served at BCM. It wouldn't work. It just would be impossible. Like It'd be me and Matt, (laughs) like an Eli. uh, But one of the things, like, and Matt, when I do harp on, on this stuff, I harp on, like, man, God doesn't want us to get drunk. God doesn't want to, us to lose our senses. You know, I had an intern a couple of years ago ask me, he's like, Joe, like, what do you think about drinking? And we had a long discussion and uh, he's like, well, what about drinking in your own home? And I was like, here's, here's one I want to point out to you. And he said he's never thought about this. I said, let's just say I'm drinking at my house really late at night and one of you guys get in a car wreck and I'm in peril to drive to see you at the hospital. Like, and I, I I have a bigger calling in my life than my enjoyment. Does it make sense? Like my personal like wants and desires. And so, you know, when God calls us out to be leaders in the church, we have to think big picture of being available all the time to serve, being there for the people of the church uh, when they need us. And you know, it can't just you know we we can't step outside. My title as campus minister, it's own. It's all the time, and I don't get a break, and so if somebody goes to the hospital 11 o'clock at night. I got to go to the hospital. You know, if one of the college students gets shot in the leg, I got to call and check on them. You know, like, you, you just, there's all these different scenarios that you got to be available for, and man, God calls us to make ourselves available when he calls us to be leaders in the church or gives us a title, and one of the things is, you know, I don't want to hinder God's how God wants to use me. So but a deacon has to be honest with money. Man, money, when you're younger, is the hardest thing to manage, and it's so, it's such a temptation to, to spend it as fast as you get it, but we, we have to learn, at a, even at a young age, to like learn how to balance it, because it affects us the rest of our life, right? Like, if you meet, you know, if you saw me, I'm 47, and I constantly have financial troubles, it's hard to, you know, if my brother looks at me, and he sees all my financial troubles, he's not going to want to hear the gospel. He's not going to want, I'm not going to have a foot to stand on. I have to be well-rounded in my pursuit of Christ, and so it says that we need to test the, our, our church leaders, our deacons, and it's, uh, the word is, um, the context of, is in the present tense. Um, that i wrote down it says it's an ongoing test that as we are leaders in the church it's ongoing people are constantly watching and we're being tested and so and then let's see he talked about women serving in the church it's and he's, he's not talking about wives he's talking about women serving and it says they have to follow all those same standards they have to like be comm- connected to all those standards and they must lead serious lives. They must be absolutely trustworthy. And so the one thing I wrote down at the end of this is deacons are not supposed to seek those titles, but they should just serve, and eventually God will give them the titles. And so as you think about these things as church leaders, sometimes we don't have to seek them. We just do, we keep our head down, we focus on the Lord, and he opens up those doors. And so the last passage I want to read to you is 14... Um, and man, it's my favorite passage in this whole chapter, because Paul does such a good job of, like, bringing us back to the main point, because it's easy to get caught up in, you know, I like rules, you know, in in certain contents, you know, when they benefit me. I don't like rules when they don't benefit me. Like, we went to ride go-karts on our vacation, and I like, you know, if you're not rubbing and bumping the other go-karts, you're not really go-karting. You know, they kicked me out. My kids were totally embarrassed. Like, I didn't put anybody's life in danger, you know, just gave him a little love tap, you know, and getting kicked out by a 16 year old kid. I'm like, oh, my bad, you know, the uh, but we can look at rules and I could have got upset for them kicking me out of the go kart place. Right. You can't ride in our go karts no more. Like I could have made a big deal about it. But the truth is, hey, probably wasn't the safest thing to do. Right. You know, like practically, you know, I might have scared somebody or caused anxiety in somebody's life. And um but I think sometimes we have to to step back that God gives us these guidelines because he has a greater good and greater purpose. But then Paul wraps it up with this last passage so we don't just stay focused on the rules or, or these guidelines. He gives us this passage that says, verse 14, Although I, I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. We need this. The church needs to know how to treat each other, right? Which which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth beyond all question. The mystery from which the true uh, uh, godliness springs is great. He appears in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations. He was believed on in the world and was taken up in glory, man. Like Paul just reminds us of what Jesus has done, what God has done. And like man, sometimes I have to step back. You know, uh, I'm, I keep pay attention to what's going on in, in Southern Baptist life because I'm I'm my foot's in the door in the Southern Baptist life. And right now, Southern Baptist Convention, there's all these questions and discussions. And, I, and, and heck, there's just a whole lot of stuff going on in America, just in general, that distract me. But sometimes I got to step back and I got to look at passages like that and remind myself that God is at work. Not just the kind of work where he's on the heavenly throne, but he came down to this earth, right? He came down to the earth and got his hands dirty, got involved in our messy lives, right? He humbled himself in the form of a bond server, right? And, and got his hands dirty and interacted with us. And not only does he give us these guidelines, but he showed us how to live as a man, right? He showed us how to live as a human being, breathing, looking at another human being. He's not disconnected from us. And a lot of people want to disconnect him. A lot of people want to like put him, he's way up there and he doesn't understand what it's like to be a human being. And what God is saying is like, No, I do. I understand. And not only do I understand, I have fought for you. I have bled for you. I have sacrificed greatly for you. Not only have I sacrificed great for you, I was willing to go to the cross and take on your sins on your behalf, which you didn't deserve. I did it for you because I love you. I want to prove that I love you. I want to prove to you that I'm worthy to follow and worship And we have to step back sometimes in this broken culture, this broken world we live in, and remind us that our God is perfect. Our God is amazing. Our God is worthy of worship. Our God is worthy of following. Our God is worthy of spending time with Him every day. Our God is worthy to share the good news with. And God, God gives us guidelines how to do that, and we need to pursue these guidelines, and they need to become core values in our life so that we can have the most impact for Him, that we can make our hearts and our minds available for the most impact for Him to use us. Will you make yourself available this week? Will you spend time in God's Word? Will you reflect on these passages? Where do you need to check yourself? Is it malice? Are Are you angered? Do you want to punch somebody in the face? Like, do you are you just stirring up trouble? Is your character on the up and up? Do you handle your business well? Do you handle your family well? These are tough questions. Every week, man, like when I pursue after the Lord, I, man, it's humbling experience. Man, all right, God, I know I need to work on this today. I know I need to work on that, but the journey pursuing after God is worth it because it keeps, man, it just keeps helping me grow. Closer to him, and I see him do things I can't explain, and he touches people's lives, and, and I get to be a part of that. Man, that's God. He wants to use us all. Will you make your heart and your mind and your soul available to him? I'm gonna pray. God, just pray that you help us hang on to you and your truths. God, help us just dig into your word and put your word into our hearts. God, help us not just be talk. Help us not just be Sunday morning worshipers, that, that we become worshipers all the time, that we're drawing men and women to you all the time, God. Help us, God, not only like, be, uh, take care of our spiritual life, but help us look at the big picture and help us lead others to grow spiritually towards you, to grow in you in your word, and, and to make themselves more available. And I pray, God, that you, that, man, you just teach us Pull at our hearts. Don't let us be satisfied. Help us be hungry to know you more. Help us be hungry to share your word with everybody we meet. Help us, God, allow you to reign in our home life, our work life, our friends. God, help us allow you to to tear all the walls down and let you have all the access to every part of our life your kingdom we love you in jesus christ we pray